Amen. Good morning. It's great to see you all here this morning, filling up the room. I love it. Uh, we're going to be in Acts chapter 13 in just a moment, Acts 13 verse 4. Um, I will uh, come back to that in just a moment. So Easter is right around the corner. I want to take a minute just to give you kind of some, uh, some high-level vision of what to expect for the coming weekend. Uh, so if you're new here at Solid Rock, um, first of all, if you're visiting with us today or new here, welcome. Glad you're here. Um, if I haven't had a chance to get to know you or get to meet you, I'd love the chance to do that after the service. If you come find me, introduce yourself if you have time. I'd love to, love to get the chance just to know you. Um, but also I'll let you know, we begin our Easter celebration on Friday. And so this Friday, we'll continue on with our Good Friday service as we've done the last few years. Uh, it'll begin in this room at 6.30. It's a short service, usually lasts about 30, 35 minutes. Uh, we'll spend some time in worship together, and we'll read uh, the scriptural account of the crucifixion of Jesus together. And we'll actually end that time with the words, it is finished. And what we're praying God will do is use that service to prepare and posture our hearts to come back in on Sunday morning as a church and just raise the roof in this place, celebrating, worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ who has resurrected from the grave for us. And so that's going to take place starting on Friday at 6.30, and then on Sunday we'll have our uh, usual three service times, 8.15, 10 o'clock, and the 11.45. Um, if you're a regular here or a member here, um, I want to ask if you would to help us out. We're going to put every seat we have available in this room, uh, but last year um, we were out of seats in the 10 o'clock service, standing room only, and a few people left and had to come back. So with that in mind, um, I want to do everything we can to create space for visitors. So members, if you could help us do that, that'd be great. Come to the 815 or the 1145. If you need something to do in 10 o'clock hour, I'm sure Darren will sign you up for kids men or Ryan will sign you, sign you up as a greeter. Lots of places to plug in and serve, especially with that many people on campus at the same time. There'll be a lot of folks who just need to know where the bathroom is or need to be greeted uh, because our greeters are already greeting somebody. So all hands on deck this next weekend for Easter services, um, and, and I hope that you'll be a part of that. Also, on your way out, uh, we've put together small bundles of invitations that have all the info you need uh, to know what the service times are, including Good Friday. Um, if you would grab one of those on your way out, it's just outside these doors on the right, there's a table. They're bundled in groups of five. Grab five of those and then hand those out as you verbally invite people to come join us for Easter. You can hand them that as a reminder, has service times and all that on there. So um, glad you're here. You ready to get busy in the, the book of Acts chapter 13? We're continuing our uh, sermon series. And uh, once again today, we're going to see uh, the evidence um, of, of this unstoppable mission of God through his church, uh, the reason why we have um, called this sermon series Acts, the Unstoppable Church, is not because um, as Christians uh, we're able to do really anything for God, but this, it's this, this amazing plan that God has to unfold eternity through his church, and he has launched an unstoppable mission through the followers of Jesus uh, to bring more disciples into the kingdom. And so we're going to see that evidence again in today's story. Um, we're going to be looking, too, at um, the spiritual reality of the world around us today. And so a couple things to help us get started. First of all, um, I want to I talk about um, that very thing, spiritual, the spiritual battle that, has, that takes place around us every day, in every conversation, every moment. Um, I want to start, though, with acknowledging that today is Palm Sunday. Okay, And so what does that mean that today is Palm Sunday? 
Well, in the scriptural account of the last week of Christ, uh, before his death, he entered into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday riding a donkey. This is incredibly iconic and symbolic for this culture and day and time. It was the thing that a king would do to display his victory over his enemy. Right? He would go out on a war horse, but he would come back in on a donkey. And the people would greet the king uh, with palm branches, acknowledging their, their reverence for the, the, this king's leadership and the victory. Now, in what we see in, in Jesus' moment there as he comes into town, the people greet him with the palm branches, waving them and laying them down. And, uh, and so what they're expecting, though, is that Jesus is coming as a political liberator, that he's finally coming to wage war against the Romans and against the other people of earth who have come against the people of God, and that he's going to bring this political liberation freedom and take on that battle. However, the, the very same people who, when Jesus rides into town on the donkey, are worshiping him and saying, Hosanna in the highest, right? Hosanna in the highest. At the end of the week are the same ones crying, crucify him. Now, what takes place during that week is that all their expectations are shattered. Jesus doesn't come to bring a physical victory. He comes to actually fight a different battle, a spiritual battle. That would include him being arrested, beaten, nailed to a cross. He would die and then resurrect on the third day. The battle that Jesus came into town to fight was not the physical battle they were expecting, but it was a deeper battle. It was a spiritual battle. And so with that in mind, we're going to move into Acts chapter 13, starting in verse 4. So last week we left off. The church in Antioch had sent out Paul and Barnabas on their first missionary journey. Verse 4. So, being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia. And from there, they sailed to Cyprus. So this is Paul and Barnabas. They're making their way to the island of Cyprus. And when they arrived at Salamis, which is one of the towns, a little port there on the island, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. And they had John to assist them. Just a little side note. This is John Mark who would later write the gospel of Mark for us. And at this point, he's a ministry assistant to Paul and Barnabas. At this point, Paul is going by Saul, and in just a few verses, uh, his name is going to get transferred to Paul. So Saul, Paul, the transition happens right here. Verse 6, When they had gone through the whole island, as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet, Named Bargesus. He was with the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence, who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. Now, a couple things I want to say. First of all, I want to talk about the author of the book of Acts, Luke. Luke has proven himself um, year after year, generation after generation, to be the most faithful historian who has ever lived. And for hundreds of years, okay, historians outside of the realm of Christianity, some even within the realm of Christianity, have sought out to disprove Luke's account of the events of things. And I'll just give you one example. Embedded in this story, we read about this proconsul on the island of Cyprus. Well, for hundreds of years, it was thought that the island of Cyprus was not under the leadership of a proconsul, but under imperial guard. So here's, let me just lay this out for you, and then you're probably wondering, what does this have to do with Jesus? And we'll get there too. So, at this point in time, Claudius is the emperor. 
whenever they would overcome a people or take over a region, if there was any need for military force, uh, the region would be an imperial province. Okay? The imperial guard would be there and Caesar would be in charge. But in areas where things were more peaceful and, and the military force wasn't needed, they would turn it over to the Senate, okay? And it would be a senatorian province. Well, it wasn't until the last 50 years, think about that, okay? We're reading about something that took place 2,000 years ago. It wasn't within the last 50 years that archaeology proved Luke's account. Up until that point, historians argued Luke had to be wrong because Cyprus, the island, was under imperial guard and it was an imperial province, so Luke had to be wrong. And some would say, well, if Luke's wrong, let's just throw out the rest of his book, right? Well, within the last 50 years, archaeologists have uncovered what's called a stella, which is basically a monument used in the building construction that had an engraving statement on there from Claudius the emperor that named this proconsul as the leader, the reigning leader of, or the seating leader of the island of Cyprus. And once again, Luke has proven right, to be the most faithful historian who has ever lived. And so I, I say that kind of as a, as a side note that what we're reading about here is a historical account of this amazing movement of God. Now here's how that helps us. So what Luke is writing down as a narrative, it's the story of what happened, okay? He, he's not a theologian. He doesn't take time to stop and explain to us how things are happening, the theological background behind things. So what Luke will lay out for us as a historian, Paul will come back in the remaining of your New Testament to explain theologically, okay? And so that's why as we read the book of narrative, uh, the, the narrative book of Acts, it's always good to look at, well, how does God speak through Paul to explain what's happening here? We're going to do that today. And so now on the surface level, We've got five characters in the story that Luke's laying out for us, okay? We've got Paul, who goes by Saul at this moment, and Barnabas, the two missionaries. They've got John Mark, the assistant. They have encountered a magician by the name of Bar-Jesus, which we'll talk about his name in just a moment. And we've got the proconsul, okay? This sanitarian leader of the whole island. And so on the surface, it looks like it's a story about these five characters interacting, And as the story unfolds, what we're going to see is that there's actually something deeper going on here. Something more powerful is brewing here in this story below the surface. Now, the magician, uh, Bar-Jesus, that name is somewhat ironic because that name Bar-Jesus means son of Jesus. And so this self-proclaimed son of Jesus is going to actually come against those who are trying to proclaim this gospel message of Jesus to the proconsul. So... Um, evidently Paul and Barnabas they've been sharing the word of God on this island word has got back to the proconsul who's an intelligent man and so what what he has done he has sent for Paul and Barnabas to come and to share the word of God with them with him verse 8 but Elymas the magician that was his other name for that is the meaning of his name he opposed them seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith but Saul who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? Now, 
what, what we're, what's being described here now for us is something that's going on below the surface. Now, remember who it was who led Paul and Barnabas to Cyprus? The very first verse we read? It was the Holy Spirit. Even back at Antioch, the church they came from, we looked at this last week, the, as they were worshiping and praying, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Paul and Barnabas for this work. So the Holy Spirit of God is unfolding a plan through Paul and Barnabas. This is not their plan unfolding. They're below the surface of everything that's taking place. The will of God is driving these two Christians forward to take the gospel message right to the ends of the earth. And so we know that the Holy Spirit is involved in this story, right? We also know this, though. God has a very real and present enemy. And the work of the, of, of the devil, Satan, here on earth is not sporadic in, in these special highlight moments, but there is a continual presence of darkness working the earth, roaming around like a roaring lion, seeking to kill, still destroy everything that is God's. And so when we take a step back and we look at what, how Ephesians 6 describes the world around us, we realize there is a very real spiritual battle taking place in this story. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, we read this. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Now, we'll unpack that phrase in just a minute. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places or heavenly realms. And so what Paul is explaining to us in Ephesians 6 is not only what's happening uh, in Acts 13, but what takes place in our daily lives, every day, every moment, every conversation. Paul would say to you, listen, your battles in this life are not really against flesh and blood. There's a greater reality taking place here. Now, what's interesting, though, is that even for us as Christians, we tend to operate on the surface of things. What we can see, what we can smell, what we can taste, what we can measure, that tends to be our greatest awareness of reality. And occasionally, we'll believe that something's going on below the surface, that there's a spiritual battle being right, had for us and not realize that this physical world we see is actually the lesser reality. Now think about it. Anything you can taste, smell, touch, or measure right now will, will one day burn up. It's actually a temporary reality. Think of it like the surface of the water, okay? What you see in this physical life that you're experiencing is the surface of things. And there is a vast depth below the surface of spiritual battles taking place. Now, we don't operate in that mindset. How do we know that? Well, uh, you, can, you, can, you can tell, by the way, by where you uh, direct your fears. So many parents in this day and age are really fearful for our children in a physical sense. Right? We're afraid our teenage daughters will get pregnant we're afraid that right somebody right will physically harm us and, and most of our fears have to do with what's happening in this physical realm but if we're going to believe the word of God our greatest fears would be connected to what what's happening below the surface right our greatest concern for our children is not what happens to them in this life but what happens in the next life you can also tell by the way we argue with one another and the way we treat one another when we disagree According to Ephesians 6, who is your real enemy? Satan is your real enemy. So even when you and your spouse are disagreeing and, and, right, and, and taking a casual conversation into something that's becoming harsh and mean and you're saying things, you're treating your spouse like the enemy, what God's word says is, whoa, 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 tap the brakes. 
He's not your enemy. She's not your enemy. Something's going on below the surface here. There is an enemy, but it's not him, and it's not her, right? And so what Paul is laboring to say in Ephesians 6 is, listen, the real battle is not between flesh and blood. This is on the surface. The real battle is taking place in the spiritual realms. This is why Jesus didn't come armed with an M16, right? He came armed with what? Humility and righteousness. It's why whenever he, he struck his, his hardest blow at God's enemy, he did so by doing what? Taking on death and resurrecting because this is a spiritual battle. Now, as Christians, I think we're, we're at least on some level willing to admit that, that there's a spiritual reality. But is, is the spiritual right, reality truly the, the greater reality for you? Or is it just something you think about occasionally? And are you consumed with what's happening here Right, on the surface. Now we're going to dive back into Acts chapter 13 and what we just read. So Paul, right, he speaks out against this particular magician who goes by the name Bar-Jesus. And what does he say to him? He says what? Stop trying to make crooked the straight paths of the Lord. That's a really helpful phrase because, see, we, we tend to think about the straight path of God. We tend to default to the straight and narrow, right? That's what that sounds like, straight and narrow. So we tend to paint a picture that the straight path of the Lord is this high level of morality where I never sin, right? Stick to the straight and narrow. But what Paul is comparing the straight path of God to is a missional life. And this magician, right, who's intervening is trying to do what? He's trying to divert these guys from sharing the word of God so this proconsul doesn't become a Christian. He's trying to make crooked this straight path of the Lord that God has laid out for Paul and Barnabas. Now, it may seem like Paul is actually calling this guy Satan when he calls him the son of devil, but it's actually a play on words because his name Bar-Jesus means son of Jesus. And he said, actually, right now, you're operating more like a son of the devil. It's the same thing that Jesus says to Peter in the Gospels. So in Matthew 16, um, there's this highlight moment. We've talked about it often in this, in this setting, especially in this sermon series, where Jesus says to his disciples, hey guys, who do you say that I am? And Peter responds, he says what? You're the son of the living God. So how does Jesus respond to Peter in that moment? Do you remember? Peter, you're right but you didn't figure that out on your own. Flesh and blood didn't reveal that to you. My Father in heaven revealed that to you. You're right, Peter, right? And the reason why you're right is because you were listening to the Holy Spirit of God speak to you in this moment, and you're right, because my Father in heaven spoke that to you. Keep reading a few verses later and see what Jesus says to Peter a few minutes later. When after this conversation, Jesus says, hey guys, I'm getting ready to head to Jerusalem. I'm going to be handed over. And what does Peter say? No way! We're not going to let them take you, Jesus. Now that's a pretty noble act, right? We're not going to let anybody harm you. They're going to have to go through us first. And how does Jesus respond to Peter? Get behind me, Satan. Now think about that. It wasn't Peter who Jesus was speaking to, was it? Jesus was speaking to the influence of Satan over Peter's life because in that moment, it wasn't about being moral or immoral. It was about this perfect will of God unfolding, the straight path that Jesus had to walk. And in that moment, Peter was trying to alter that straight path of the Lord. 
And so Jesus was speaking to the influence of Satan over Peter in that moment, not calling Peter Satan. And the same thing is happening here in this story. As Paul speaks to this person, this magician, you say, he says, you're, you're acting more like the son of the devil. Why? Because you're trying to make crooked. You're trying to alter. You're trying to thwart the plan of the Lord for this moment. God desires, I believe Paul believed in his heart, God desires to save the proconsul. He believed it. And in this moment, the magician was trying to alter that course, and he speaks against it. Now, let's talk for just a moment about our own lives. So, last week we ended off by talking about how God has set apart every Christian for the mission of Jesus, okay? That's not just for a select group of people that we call missionaries. Every Christian is a missionary. And we talked about how that plays out, first of all, in our own homes, right? And then even in our, like, our workplaces and our neighborhoods and the community around us. That, you know, for the two missionaries who were sent out of Antioch, the church was left there to continue living out this mission, right? And so every person who is a Christian is on this mission, which means that God has a straight path for you. In the same way, he had a straight path for Paul and Barnabas. Now, if you looked at it on a map, was it straight? No, they went all over the place geographically. That was the point was this, is that God had a perfect plan for their lives. God has a straight path for your life, Christian. And we're not talking solely about the straight and narrow, that you would achieve some high level of morality and never sin. What we're talking about is that you would live and walk in a missional way. Every step of the way. Now think of it like this. We were talking about this in community group um, this weekend about every human being you come in contact with is part of the mission. No relationships are off the table. None. Every conversation you have is with an eternal image bearer. Somebody who has been created in the image of God. Every conversation is part of your mission. Now think of it. None of them are off the table. That includes your conversations with your spouse, your children, your neighbors, your coworkers, the barista at Starbucks, your waiter, your waitress. Every conversation you have is with an eternal being created in the image of God. God has given you a straight path to walk. And we can learn from this story what? That there is going to be a plan from the enemy to thwart that straight path. That straight path. Expect to encounter opposition. Boy, that makes a whole lot make sense, doesn't it? Right? Because we love those moments where it's like playing t-ball, where the person comes up to you and says, tell me how I must, what I must do to become a Christian. And then you tell them, and then right there, they pray, and boom, they take off, and right, everything happens. But it doesn't always happen that way. Matter of fact, it seldom happens that way. Most of the time, it happens through what? Through conflict, working hard, awkward conversations. I don't know how to get this thing started, but, right? But you can know this. In every conversation you are having on the surface, there is a very real spiritual battle taking place. And so when you encounter opposition, when you encounter somebody who wants to argue with you or prove you wrong, then it's not a battle of the minds in that moment, is it? It's not a battle of flesh and blood. It's a spiritual battle. So you don't have to outwit that person or show how smart you are to that person. It's simply a moment to listen to the Holy Spirit and pray, oh God, right? Just like Paul. I believe you want to save this person. Holy Spirit, I'm listening. Now, I want to talk for a minute about listening to the Holy Spirit of God. 
there's a word that I think could be helpful for us today. Um, it's a word, we didn't make it up, but we use it in our counseling training. It's the word trialogue. And so we're all familiar with a dialogue, right? Two people talking back and forth, dialogue. One person talking, two people together, that's a monologue, right? We engage in conversation, dialogue. However, if I'm a Christian and I sit down with you and you're a Christian and we begin to talk, guess what? The Holy Spirit of God is talking too. And so as I speak to you, the Holy Spirit is speaking to me. Now, that doesn't mean I always listen, but if I will attune my heart to the Holy Spirit of God and I listen, I'm going to share with you what he's saying. Have you had one of those moments? The Holy Spirit of God speaks through you. So now it's no longer two people talking, it's three as the Holy Spirit speaks through the speaker to the listener. Now guess what else is happening? If this person's a Christian, the Holy Spirit of God is doing what? Speaking to them. And so they're not just hearing your words, they're also hearing from God. It's why in these moments, like when I open God's word with you and, and, and I do my best to teach it to you and then you have this amazing aha moment and you come up to me afterwards and go, oh, good sermon. I say, oh, no, 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 it wasn't. It's a horrible sermon, but it was a good word, right? right? If, you, if you hear anything from God today, it's because his spirit's speaking to you, not me. You don't want to hear what I have to say. Trust me. I'm not that inter, inter, entertaining or that engaging not that fun to listen to, right? But God's speaking through. So there's a trialogue taking place. Does that make sense? Okay, I want you to also understand too, the enemy operates in a very similar way. The enemy s- seeks to whisper to you things that are not true or half true. And one of the ways you can tell the difference between the Holy Spirit of God and the voice of the enemy of God is what? It aligns with his word. First and foremost, God does not say things to you that is in contrast to what he says through his word. So the more we read the Bible, the more familiar we are with his voice, the better we are at hearing him. But here's some other characteristics of the the voice of God. The voice of God speaks what is true. So guess what? When the Holy Spirit speaks, oftentimes it hurts. Why? Because you and I operate in, in in a facade so often, don't we? We try to push away our mistakes. We try to hide our imperfections. And if we'll open up our hearts and say, God, speak to me, and he does, he's going to share with you what is true. He's going to bring to the surface things that maybe you didn't really want to deal with. Maybe some bitterness you're harboring towards somebody. Maybe some jealousy that you've been struggling with. Or maybe some deep, dark secret that you've never spoken to anyone. When the Holy Spirit of God speaks to you, he's going to speak what's true, even if it hurts. The proverb says what? A friend, the wounds of a friend can be trusted. When somebody who loves you says something to you that hurts, you can trust that. But what does an enemy do? In that same proverb, an enemy multiplies kisses. So while God speaks to us in a way that's sometimes hard to hear, sometimes God will call us to the hard path, not the easy path, there's an enemy whispering lies, trying to lure you to what seems like an easier path path, the path of least resistance, or the grass that seems greener on the other side of the fence. And if you've ever chased after one of those lies, you know, right? It ends in disappointment, frustration, and death every time. The words of the Holy Spirit lead to life. The words of the enemy of God lead to death. Death of a relationship, right? The stench of death is all around us. And so, so important for us to understand this, Christians, that what we see, what we can touch, what we can measure in this life is the surface of things. It's real. You're real and I'm real, but there's a full depth of spiritual reality that is eternal. 
And one day, everything you see will shrivel up and burn away. And the greater reality will be the only reality that we have. Now, I want to I end with the last verse, verse 12, with you today. So, we've got this spiritual battle taking, uh, taking place over the soul of the proconsul right now. Paul and Barnabas know we're on a mission. We're on a straight path from God. He's led us to lead this person to Christ. We've got this particular opponent here. And it's not really this guy. It's, it's, the, it's, the, it's Satan. It's the devil working through him right now. Now look at what happens in verse 12. Actually, let's, let's pick this up in 11. And so Paul says this. He says, And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you. Now, this is the third time uh, that the hand of the Lord has been mentioned in the book of Acts. And any time it comes up, we've talked about how that's a big deal when something is described as the hand of the Lord. We saw the hand of the Lord move, and, uh, and thousands of people got saved. We saw the hand of the Lord move, and Herod dies, right? So we know it's a big deal when the hand of the Lord moves. So Paul says this, to the magician, the hand of the Lord is upon you. And then look at what, see what he says. He says this, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. And immediately mist and darkness fell upon him. And he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Now this is not the first time that God has done that in the book of Acts. You remember the last time? It was Paul. Paul was on his way, right, with written permission to kill Christians and he encountered Jesus for the first time, and he was struck blind for a time, and his friends had to lead him by the hand into town. Now what took place after that in his encounter with Jesus is this, that by faith he came, right, he came to faith in Jesus, Jesus radically saved him, transformed him, and so who previously was the Christian killer has now become the leading missionary in the Christian movement. We don't know how this is going to end for the magician because right now that's not the point of the story. But the same thing is happening here to the magician that happened to Saul. And so can you imagine being here in this moment? This is a pretty big moment, right? Like spiritual realities becoming physical realities right in front of your eyes. And so we're going to pick up now with the proconsul and his response. Okay? And so verse 12 says this. It says that the proconsul believed okay that was the point right that was the straight path of the lord that this particular individual become a christian he believed when he saw what had occurred for he was astonished now we're going to stop for a minute if we stop here we would assume that it's because of this spiritual thing that just happened the magician was struck blind and he was amazed and astonished by that right that's what it sounds like I love this word astonished here. Um, it's actually the idea of being shell-shocked. Um, another way to translate this is like when you're punched in the gut and that moment of like, I just can't believe what just happened. That's the word astonished here, okay? So he's shell-shocked in this moment by what has occurred. So we're, we're but, right, we would naturally assume what occurred. Well, this man was struck blind. Look at what he was actually astonished by. Verse 12, the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, he was astonished at what? The teaching of the Lord. The teaching of the Lord, the word of God. That's what he was astonished by. Not that Paul rebuked 
this uh, particular magician, he became blind, he was astonished at. Not Paul's personality or Barnabas' kindness. He was astonished at the word of the Lord. Now, we talked about this last week. We looked at Romans 10. We talked about where faith comes from. Faith comes from hearing, and hearing what? The word of God. It's the word of God that transforms lives, that saves souls, that opens our eyes to see the greater realities. And in this moment, right, the proconsul wasn't overwhelmed and astonished and moved into a relationship with God because a guy was struck blind. What astonished him, what struck him in the gut, what caught him off guard and shell-shocked him to the core was what? The word of God. This is how Jesus takes on his battle with Satan in the desert. As, as Satan speaks lies to Jesus, the Son of God, how does he refute those lies? He quotes scripture, the word of God. This is what Jesus has told us to do. He didn't tell us to go out and launch amazing church programs, did he? He didn't say, go build this amazing church and make it really attractive so a lot of people will come and sing your songs. Did he? He didn't. He said what? Take the gospel, the word of God, to the ends of the earth. That is what is going to make the eternal impact. Right? That's what strikes the astonishing blow to the enemy. Not how fancy your music service is, right? Or how many people you can pack in a building. A hundred people or a million people. It doesn't matter. Right? The spiritual battle that takes place is only one that Jesus can win for us. And so I want us to think about on Palm Sunday. So in this moment... preceding the first Easter celebration, Jesus rides into Jerusalem as a victorious king. You and I still have spiritual battles to face in this life, but we do so under the authority of a victorious king. Jesus didn't ride into Jerusalem to win a physical battle, did he? He came to establish his identity and to win a spiritual battle on our behalf. That's what's going to make next Sunday so stinking powerful. It's not going to be how many people we can pack in this room or how fancy the music will be or how good the preaching and teaching is going to be. It's going to be simply God moving through his word. That's why we're here today. Right? That's why we're here. Why? Because Antioch became this launching pad of missionaries who took the word forward. We're here because Paul and Barnabas went, because God had a straight path for them leading where? To Fort Worth, Texas. And the straight path is not done yet. God has a straight missional path for your life, Christ's follower. The things that you do in this life have very little to do with eternity. What you do for a living, how fancy your house is, how clean your house is for Pete's sake, right? The arguments that you're having with your spouse, they're not about what you're even arguing about. How many times have you gotten to a place where you couldn't even remember what you started arguing about? What does that tell you? Something else is going on here. The battle for your children is not just to keep them physically safe and make sure they go to college and have great jobs and careers. And, right? There's an eternal battle taking place right now for the souls of man. And Christ follow, we are engaged in that. Now, here's where I want to end today. I want to... In just a minute, I'm going to invite our worship team back up. And I mean, I believe today God wants to astonish someone. I really do. I believe God wants to catch you off guard. And that, that might be for a Christian who just came in here today thinking they were going to go through the motions. And now all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit of God has his hand on you. And he is just, just wrenching some things or bringing some things to the surface. 
That might mean you came in today, not a Christian. No bearings on what it means to be a Christian. You thought it was about saying these words and wearing these t-shirts and going to these places and acting like all these weird people. And you realize today, oh, wait a second. It has nothing to do with that mess. Being a Christian means following Jesus. It means believing and trusting in him. And, and God wants to astonish you today. He wants to catch you off guard. He wants to shell shock you in a good way. He wants to awaken what's inside of you. Here's what I want to do. I want to invite you to do something courageous with me. Um, We're going to sing a song in just a minute. And one of the lines of the song is this. Here's my heart. Speak what is true. That's a pretty bold and courageous thing to ask God. Isn't it? Here's my heart. Say whatever you want to say, God. Speak what is true. I'm going to invite you to pray that with me before we sing it. And I want to invite you to pray it with me expecting God to speak this morning. The trialogue. The Holy Spirit of God speaking directly to your heart. So as our worship team comes back up, I'm going to just lead us into a time of prayer. If you just take a moment where you're at to, to kind of position your heart to hear from God. Whether you're a Christian or not today, I'm going to invite you to pray this prayer with me. God, this morning we asked you to awaken what was inside of us. And now we're about to ask you to speak what is true. So God, what we desire this morning more than anything is to hear from you. I'm going to just encourage you wherever you are to take the next few moments just to to make that your own prayer and your own words. God, here's my heart. Speak to me. During these next two songs, our, our prayer partners are going to be available in the back of the room. Maybe you'd like to just reach out to somebody and have them pray with you. I would encourage you that as we stand to sing, just slip out and make your way to the back. You know who they are because they'll have lanyards on that say prayer partner, and they'd be honored to to pray with you this morning. If you just want to stay seated while we stand to sing, I want you to feel free to do that. God, we believe that you are here and we believe that when you show up, you you desire to heal, to mend, to restore, to save. And so God, now in this time, we ask that you would do that work in us. Our hearts are open, God. We want to hear from you, God, that you would speak to us and move in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name.